My name is Christina Crook, and I am the author of The Joy of Missing Out. I want to welcome you to the JomoCast, a podcast for founders and creators seeking joy in a digital age. Jomo is the joy of missing out on the right things. Things like toxic hustle, comparison, and digital drain to make space for life-giving commitments that bring us peace, meaning, and joy. This season of the JomoCast, I'm talking about good burdens, the people and projects that bring us most joy. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Carrie Claire about the algebra of joy, her favorite chapter from my new book, Good Burdens, How to Live Joyfully in the Digital Age. Carrie is a National Magazine Award-nominated writer, editor of The M Word, and author of two novels, Mitzi Bites and Waiting for a Star to Fall. She teaches blogging at myblogschool.ca and is editor of the Canadian books website, 49th Shelf. Our conversation was inspired by a blog post Carrie wrote called The Opposite of Scrolling. In it, she confessed that she doesn't have the experience so many people have on social media, how scrolling through your feed just makes you feel like your own experience is inadequate. One huge reason she has a positive experience online is because she doesn't use these platforms passively. Active engagement is the path to joy. I hope you enjoy this episode with Carrie Claire. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you. Nice to talk to you. You too. Where am I speaking with you from today? I am in my bedroom in Toronto, (laughs) Ontario. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Who needs offices, right? Absolutely. Okay, so I like to start with some rapid fire questions. Is it okay if I just ask you a bunch of questions like bam, bam, bam? Let's do it. Okay. On a Saturday afternoon, where can we find you? Walking towards something delicious with my family. What gets you up Monday morning? My alarm clock. That's about it. I used to get up to go swimming. That was the one thing that got me up early, but now it's just the alarm. What's one thing people wouldn't know if they followed you online? I don't think there is anything, to be honest. I, I'm all about the candor. <laughs> Amazing. What brings you the most joy and how do you prioritize it? I should say people, but books. Books bring me joy and I prioritize that by keeping my phone beyond arm's reach often. Fabulous. And what's your favorite thing to do unplugged? Read. I see a theme here. Definitely. Okay, so you recently published a blog post that caught my attention. Tell me about the opposite of scrolling. I wanted to write about how inspiring I find online life to be, whether it's my blog or social media. And I think part of that's because I view social media as an extension of my blog. I bring a blogger's approach to social media. And it's all about creating, making stuff, asking questions. I am being active in my online life instead of passively scrolling and just letting other people's lives flash in front of my eyes. I want to be much more deliberate and make something of my own. And so I wanted to talk about how social media has been positive for me and brought me joy because I think that is a possibility for everybody. 
Absolutely. I love that so much. And what it got me thinking about was, and I know because you've read the new book, Good Burdens, that you know about this, was the discovery that I made through the research of Dr. Pamela Pavlisak, which is that people who are happiest with technology use it for creativity and community and care. And so when I think about you and the more I learn about you and your work and your approach to all things internet, it seems like those are the things you're prioritizing when you're going online. Absolutely. And it ties back to the idea that you opened Good Burdens with, which is that happiness comes from the warmth of relationships. And I think that's as true online as it is anywhere. And so if our intention in our online lives is not to network, right, but to have relationships and and friendships and real friends, I think social media and the internet can be a meaningful place to be. Do you have internet fatigue Are you bored of doom scrolling? Do you wish to live life outside of an online algorithm? Do you wish for better conversations? Do you want to get your creativity back? Then my new course, The Jomo Method, is for you. This program aims to be a helping hand to anyone wanting to take a step back and consciously change up their online habits. A year ago, I first opened the doors to a small group of students and have since helped designers, marketers, educators, and executives around the world. People working at Shopify and Adobe, people in Australia and Portugal, Brazil, and the USA. I've helped them take back control of their digital lives to do their best work and live with more joy. Do you like the sound of that? The Jomo Method is built right out of the insights I've gained over the past 10 years studying the intersection of technology and joy. The truth is, people who are happy with technology use it differently. And I want to show you how. Learn more by joining today at christinacrook.com forward slash waitlist. That's Christina Crook com forward slash waitlist. I can't wait to see you there. The theme of this season is good burdens. Jomo is the joy of missing out on the right things so that we can take up good burdens, the people and projects that bring us joy. How would you define a good burden? A good burden is something that makes my life richer. And as I read your book, I was thinking that blogging is a good burden it's so easy to resort to for the internet to be a place full of convenience and comfort Mm. as you write about. And blogging isn't quite like that. You have to work to blog and blogging. It's not so much on readers radars anymore. It's not a great way to get attention, really blogging. It's something that I do for my own personal satisfaction. I use my blog as my workbook to figure things out. It's much easier to put up a flippant post on Instagram or to text somebody what's on my mind, kind of a throwaway idea. But my blog is a good burden. It's something I don't have to do. It's something that takes effort to do. And when it connects with other readers, it's really rewarding because I think there's a depth that comes with blogging that I don't find in other places online. Is your blog, because I'm I'm new to your blog, but I've enjoyed it so very much what I have read, and I'll make sure to include all the links to Carrie's work in the show notes. Is it a place where you work out your personal practice of writing? Because you are also an author of books. Absolutely. My blog is the place where I work out everything. And not a lot of people read blogs anymore. And I see that as real license, actually, to just use that space 
uh, and not be conscious of what other people are thinking or how they respond. I do it for myself. I guess I could use a notebook, but, you know, getting some kind of reception is also really helpful to the people who bother to read those places. So, yeah, my blog is my workbook. It's where I sort out my ideas. I find there's I've been sort of trying to sort out the same ideas for, you know, 15 years. <laughs> but Haven't we all? <laughs> right. It's, it's a process. But through blogging, I have also learned to make writing a habit. And I have become, mm. you know, I, I write novels and I learned what my voice is. I think I think that's a bit precious, the idea of my voice. But I used to blog and want to sound like other people. And if you read my blog's archives, which I hope no one will from many years ago, it's me trying really hard to figure out what I want to sound like. And then at some point, I started sounding like me and I realized what that was. And I mm. think that made me able to finally write books that someone would want to publish. It, it It's all part of the same practice. I remember I started my blog to get over my fear of people reading my writing because I did want to be a professional writer. This is way back in you know my early 20s. And it was like that little first toe in the water <laughs> to say, hey, look, world, I write things. And to get that response and to get comfortable in that space. And I love that you're bringing it back. And Carrie leads a blogging school, which we'll talk about more deeply in a little bit. But I love that you are in, in a way bringing back the good <laughs> well, of the blogs. blog. And it's, it's something I've heard in other places where people are really wanting to bring it back because of that deeper, more personal voice. Blogs have context. There was a line in your book I loved. I think you talked about context confetti or something like that. All the context yes. is broken into pieces online. And so everything is divorced of its context. And so when we read something someone has posted on Twitter or elsewhere, like, it's really hard to understand are we the intended audience for that? What are we meant to do with that information? The lack of context is so disorienting. And so blogs are fantastic because, first of all, I have an idea of who reads my blog. And so I can write with some assurance that people will understand what I'm trying to express rather than that paralyzing feeling that social media can bring that anything you say can be misconstrued and twisted out of context. The blog has its own context. And so that's, I think, really a safe thing. But also, yeah, blogs are kind of marginal. Not a lot of people pay attention to them. And I don't say that as a way to be self-deprecating or to reduce them. I think that's really great. I don't think we need all eyes on us at all times. That's really overwhelming. And so when we have like a little bit of safety that comes from the context and from knowing you know, who our readers are, I think that allows us to write more freely. I love that so much. It's true. I think about the amount of exhaustion that we experience on a day-to-day -day basis going into those streams, into those feeds, and just trying to make sense of a single tweet, right? Like threading it all the way back. And then what? We've lost 40 minutes and our head hurts a little bit. And are we the better for it? I'm not and half sure. half the afternoon is gone. Yeah. I love that, that there's context there. You wrote to tell me that one chapter in particular from Good Burden spoke to you, and that was the algebra of joy where I write about how joy occurs when two things, well-being and success, occur simultaneously within us. The experience of joy involves two things, active noticing and nurturing. Noticing is about your attention and nurturing is about your effort. You are an expert blogger and teach others to carve out their own personal corner of the internet. How is this experience from your perspective the same as blogging, the attention and effort piece? I think you need to notice and nurture in order to blog or, I mean, I think my Instagram is the same approach. 
it's all about paying attention to the world around me and taking on the good burden of writing about it and processing it and not just letting the world go by, sort of taking stock of things. Noticing and nurturing, I think, is really important in living deliberately online. The conversation that I had in the early days of my work was around unplugging, was the just run away from it all. And it's actually, I think the way to joy is actually much more effortful, (laughs) that we have to pay even more attention, right, to what we're doing and those spaces to find a path forward that brings joy. So it's not checking out, it's really checking in to what's happening. It is. And I think that social media can be a tool for noticing and nurturing and connecting with people who would like to notice and nurture the same good parts of the world. How do you put boundaries around that personally? I'd be curious to hear because I know you are extremely active online. I think that what I said initially about having friends instead of connections is Mm. super important with that. Sometimes that can be overwhelming, right? Because I think I have like a lot of friends, a couple thousand people (laughs) who are my friends. And so a lot of people who I don't even know, I feel very connected to. And so that can be a lot when people are going through things and, and to sort of take on everyone else's troubles and what they're going through. That can be a lot. So I think one needs to negotiate boundaries around that. But I think that real connection that I have to a lot of people online makes me feel pretty comfortable sharing my life. I do have boundaries around my children, not really strong ones. I do put my children online, all my social media. And I I don't always say posted with consent because I feel like that's kind of obvious. I respect my children a lot. But they are a part of my online life because I feel like if they weren't, that's a part of my life that I have to sort of cut off. And I have a lot of feelings around that. But I do try to be really respectful to them. And and as they get older, they have feelings about what parts of their lives they want to share. And preserving their dignity is, you know, a huge priority for me. So I think that's the one place. It might not look like I have boundaries, but I do. But I don't really feel the need for lots of boundaries in terms of telling my own stories because I've found that talking about the most personal parts of my life have been really liberating. I think that some of the stories we're not meant to tell are because there's stigma around them and we're supposed to be ashamed. And so I write about my abortion, which was like a thousand years ago, but I talk about it all the time. And it's boring almost, but I feel like that's helpful for other people who have had that experience to hear it recognized in such an ordinary way. But also when you can say the thing that's supposed to be your deepest shame out loud, there's really nothing anyone could do to you after that. It's given me a lot of strength and my story is a powerful one. And I like to use that power. I really like that. The warmth of our relationships is our greatest source of happiness. It's our capacity for intimate relationships that predict whether we flourish in life or flounder. Do you think this is related to what we've already talked about, but I want to go a little deeper. Do you think warm and real online relationships, so you would call them more than networks or connections, can create a similar flourishing and contribute to well-being? And has that been true for you? Yeah, absolutely. I have lots of friends that I met online. I think connecting beyond online is important. But I have so many friends and such a joy for me is when you meet an online friend and they're exactly who you thought they would be. Because sometimes it goes the other way and that can be very awkward. But I think having those online connections extend into the real world. For me, that is how I've met so many people who I consider close friends. Sometimes it's hard, though. You know, there are lots of people online who don't share images of themselves or whose whose names aren't even their actual names. 
And so in a way, I feel like I know them and they feel like they know me, but I wouldn't know them if I crossed them in the street and literally don't even know what their names are. Sometimes that's a hard thing for people who are sort of careful about privacy. And then it gets a little bit awkward because, yeah, I have no idea who you are. (laughs) But for people who are generous enough to share, I think those online relationships are so possible. And I think they're one of the most exciting things that social media and the Internet has to offer us. I like what you said about taking it a step further offline. I'm a little bit notorious for befriending people on the internet and then like inviting them to be real friends. Sounds like maybe you are too. I take great joy in that. It's sort of surprising for some people because it doesn't happen maybe that often. And obviously it's a little bit more limited during COVID times. Yes. But yeah, I've made incredible friends and colleagues that way. I think there is, I'm wondering if you agree with this. I have discovered through obviously hundreds and hundreds of conversations about these themes, about technology and joy, that different people have different capacities for relationship, how many relationships they can sustain. The questions I often get are around like, how much is too much? And when should you log off? And, you know, what are the habits that are going to like save the day? And I find that a very difficult question because I think different people have different capacities. And I think you, it sounds to me like you're one of those people that has an enormous capacity for maintaining a lot of warm relationships with people. And so for people like you, it seems like online engagement is actually quite nourishing. Yes. Right? Not depleting, whereas right. it can be for some people. You're right. It's energy begetting, not take energy from you. And you know that could be the extrovert, introvert spectrum, but It's just something I'm deeply curious about because it seems that people that tend to just in normal life have a more limited capacity for maintaining relationships. That's not a lack. That's just a reality of who they are. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think online too, there's a trap that you write about in your book about how you start to think that liking someone's post, especially long distance friends. And and you're like, oh yeah, we're really close. Cause like I saw that post. Right. Yeah. That's not warmth, right? That's not deep and sustaining it. There needs to be something more active going on for the relationship to be real and nourishing in the way that I would like it to be. Another thing that comes back to love is, you know, knowing yourself and knowing that other person and like, what is actually really connecting for the two of you. And I think a great basic rule is the more direct the communication, the more intimate it is. Yeah. And often less public. It doesn't have to be private, but it's something about that directness, right? One to one that creates that kind of warmth. Yeah. And that's happened with some people I've met online. I mean, I started blogging 21 years ago. And so there's a whole bunch of people I sort of met through book blogging around 2005 and six, when it was still like a pretty intimate group of people, even though it spanned the globe. You have to tell me what platform it was. Well, I started blogging on diaryland.com, which was the most hideous website and (laughs) it was awful. But when I started blogging about books, Blogspot was the blog that I had. And yeah, there were so many people. I feel like books too are a wonderful thing. If you can love things with other people and be enthusiastic, Mm. that's a great way to cement those bonds. And so there's all kinds of people now that I am friends with on social media who I met through book blogging such a long time ago. And yeah, those relationships, they've, they've meant a lot to me. They've meant a lot to me, you know, people showing up for me when I've needed people too, but also just people's thoughts and ideas sustaining and, and nourishing my own writing. A technology promises and reinforces our desire for control, convenience, and comfort. How do you think that keeps us from living creative lives? 
well, you write so beautifully about the need for want, right? We create to fulfill a want. It's about desire. Any kind of creation is about wanting and desire. And so if all our containers are filled up by the convenience that our phones offer us, yeah, there's no room, there's no space for that kind of yearning that I think results in creativity. Like I love swimming. Swimming is my favorite thing. And luckily I've got to get back to it in these last few months. And just for 45 minutes, sometimes I think about the work that I'm writing, but sometimes I don't really think of anything at all. And then I beat myself up a bit because I wasn't using that time productively, but of course not. Yes, you were. You were getting your body into great shape. (laughs) Absolutely. But you know, just like for my brain to just have space to wander. What I always say in my blogging course is a blog needs room to grow and space to wander. And I think a brain does too. And so I think wanting and desire, those things all go together. And if all your comforts are met and everything is fulfilled, there's there's no space to, to mm. do that sort of thing. So yeah, clearing that kind of space is important. I don't often hear people talk about creating space for discomfort, <laughs> but that's it. It's absolutely so important. I think about the moments where I've been most inspired and I'm often cold or uncomfortable (laughs) in some way, right? I'm not in a bubble. I'm not in some kind of like sensory deprivation tank. That is not where desire or inspiration typically spark. It is in those moments of boredom or discomfort or just where there's space enough for something new, right? To be sparked in your heart or your mind. Well, I love the line you wrote, I'm just looking for it. You can't move toward joy without wanting. Wanting will get you where you want to go. I think it gets you out of any kind of rut you might be in and and ideas about how you should live your life and how a life should progress, right? I just, I found the way you wrote about desire very interesting and kind of counterintuitive in a way. It's not just about getting what you need. It's about thinking about what that desire means and where it will lead you to. Well, the deliberateness that you're talking about throughout the entire book. And yeah, wanting and answering the question of that want is to be active in your life, to be deliberate in your choices and thinking about where you want to go. And that can be for the big ideas, you know, what kind of job you have and where you want to live, but also about what you're doing on Instagram on a Tuesday afternoon. What do you want from this place? Where where do you want it to take you? And I think us considering those questions and that kind of yearning is really important Hmm. and powerful too. I write in the book and I often talk about this in my program as well. The questions around asking yourself, is this life-giving or life-taking? So this orientation towards like life or despair. And I've been thinking about it more and you will know this from reading the book, Good Burdens, that at the end of each chapter, I write that the goal is aliveness and the purpose is love. And I used to ask that question on social media, but in all the spaces of like, is this life giving or is this life taking? But now the question for me is, is this helping me grow in aliveness and this is helping me to love? And if it's not, then that's kind of like the parameter for whether I should be doing it or not. I'm wondering if you have sort of some guiding questions for when you're like online and you're maybe behaving in a way that isn't aligned with what you want to do. Or do you have like a question or kind of like something that gives you pause when you're in those spaces that makes you choose otherwise? Well, part of it's the way that time goes. If Hmm. time disappears and you've got nothing to show for it, then I know that I'm onto something (laughs) that's bad. 
you know, I don't watch a lot of television, actually, for that same reason. I find that an hour when I'm watching a movie or TV, like, just goes by so fast. But when I'm reading, it slows down in a way that makes sense for me and makes me feel like I'm really doing something worthwhile with that time. And it's not just about productivity. It sounds like I'm, I keep returning to this idea that we have to be optimizing. And I don't mean that. But I kind of do, in a way, optimizing joy, optimizing meaning. So yeah, when time disappears, then I don't really want to be doing that. Unless it's, you know, like in real life, when time disappears, because I'm spending time with friends or my family, like that is wonderful. And that's what Mm. we're here for, I think. Absolutely. I love that. I love what you just said about what do I have to show for this when you're in an online space, but how that is really different when you're offline. Yeah. I've never heard someone frame it that way. Thank you for that. You wrote a note to me. You said, good online advice. Pursue warm relationships and the rest will follow. Commit yourself to people who have committed themselves to you. Why do you think that's good online advice? Uh, Because it's a great way to spend your time and, and you get things back. I find so many of the people who I know online inspire me in the best way. And this is because I'm not following celebrities or influencers necessarily. I'm following real people. And I find ordinary life can be so inspiring. And so it's someone telling me about the book they read or a recipe they cooked. And these are things that when I think, oh, I'm missing that in my life, uh, it doesn't make me feel a lack. It inspires me to pursue those things, to to make those recipes and, and read those books. And yeah, real people. Like, I think we can't not overestimate how great... that is. And, you know, so many people online are pressured to fit into very small containers. And I love how you write about you are not one thing. In my blogging course, that is, if something gets taken away from my blogging course, I want that to be it. You can be more than one thing. Blogs are a hybrid space and we are all people made up of multitudes. And I think people who can be those multitudinous selves online are first of all doing something subversive and wonderful. They're disrupting the the algorithm. They're messing with it. And I think that's great. (laughs) And yeah, they're inspiring me too. And people online can show up. Like I'm doing a a fundraiser right now for breast cancer research, uh, a -a readathon. And people have donated to my readathon who I've never met. And, And, you know, they're Instagram friends and that you could say that's nothing, but I mean, there's real generosity there. People have been so generous and kind to me. That's amazing. I find those warm relationships, obviously, infinitely rewarding. I love that. This is the Gemmo cast where we explore how embracing the joy of missing out on the right things helps us thrive in the digital age. How would you define Jomo or what does Jomo mean to you? In my online life, it means being happy to have my niche. So my favorite blogger ideas is that well-known blogger is an oxymoron. Bloggers are inherently obscure. Blogs are inherently obscure and marginal. And for a while, I thought that meant that I was doing blogging wrong. I thought that I was doing, you know, online life wrong. And then I realized that that's what blogs began as. And as we talked about already, there's so much we get from that kind of semi-obscurity. There's license and freedom that comes with that. Mm. So for me, it's missing out on trying to be everything to everybody. And I'm just so grateful that there's a small group of people who are really committed to what I do. Thank you so much, Carrie. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review it, or share it with a friend. You're the key to spreading JOMO. 
The internet is not what it used to be. You need a roadmap to thrive in the digital age. I've created a new free Jomo guide and it's available now at christinacrook.com. Jomo is the joy of missing out on the right things, but sometimes it's difficult to know what those right things are. I'll guide you through a simple four-step digital house cleaning process to clear away your digital clutter and make it easier to get at what really matters. That's the joy of missing out. Get your free Jomo guide today at christinacrook.com.